From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. Leviticus 21, Amor. Counting the all in all. This week's portion of the Torah lists many of the requirements of purity that apply to the priest and to the sacrifices. These are followed by the festival calendar where the holidays are described. Beginning with the second night of Pesach, Passover, that begins a 50-day period of spiritual purification. During this time, we count each day and week that leads up to the bringing of the two loaves made from the new crop of wheat that were brought upon the completion of this 50-day, seven-week period on the holiday of Shavuos, which means weeks. This is the holiday when we celebrate the receiving of the Torah. These 50 days reflect the 50 days it took the Jewish people to travel from Egypt to Mount Sinai in order to receive the Torah. Surely they could have arrived at Mount Sinai sooner, but more time was required for them to shed the spiritual uncleanliness that came upon them from having lived in a land of idolatry and perversion for so many years. Each day they moved further away from Egypt and came closer to Mount Sinai, elevated and purified them. Each day they left behind an additional level of impurity and attained a higher level of spirituality until the 50th day when they were pure enough to receive the Torah. Today we reenact this process as we count the Omer. This is done during the 50-day period leading up to Shavuos. The Omer was the sheaf of new barley grain that was brought up to the temple to be offered as a meal offering on the second day of Pesach. The two loaves that were brought upon the completion of the counting of the Omer on Shavuos were made out of a wheat. This reflects the elevation process of the barley. The barley offered at the beginning of the counting is considered to be animal food, while the wheat that was brought upon the completion of the counting is human food. Each night we count these 50 days, we also recognize which particular spiritual characteristic is being rectified. These characteristics can also be referred to as graded emanations, vessels, or molds of which all creation is formed. They are called the Ten Sephirot. Their function is to guide the creation in general and the Jewish people in particular in order to bring the entire creation to its greatest potential. Of these ten spiritual characteristics with which God creates the universe, the seven lower ones are manifested in a revealed way. It is these seven and combinations of them that we mention each night as we count the Omer. The names of the Sephirot are an attempt to label things that are too subtle for the mind to comprehend. The seven lower Sephirot are called kindness or benevolence, strength or to prevail, beauty or mercy, victory or permanence, glory or majesty, foundation or establishment, and kingship or dominion. Many of these names and their very definitions overlap so much that at times they are interchangeable. We continue counting each night according to the order until we have rectified the seven lower emanations and all of their paired combinations. 
For instance, one night we rectify kindness that is in strength, and on another night we rectify strength that is in kindness. We must ask ourselves, what is the nature of each night's particular emanation? For instance, on the appropriate night we should try to understand what the kindness in strength is that we are rectifying that day. Then, at its particular time, we must try to understand what is the strength that is in kindness. There is no single metaphor that explains these emanations and their combinations, but rather we are free to delve into our own thinking and try to discover ideas that fit those particular characteristics. One way to explain strength and kindness is to see what is happening when a father yells at his young child. His urgency is very strict, it's strong, but he is doing this out of kindness. However, when the father gives his child a new computer, his action appears to be entirely kind, but his underlying motive is really the strength of training his son. This, then, is an act of kindness and strength. All of the emanations and their combinations can be identified and understood in the same way. The greatest mistake people make regarding these ten emanations is thinking that they are like a ladder, with one end being in one sephirate location and the next sephirate at another location. Rather, we must know that all ten are in the same place at the same time. Use a sweater as an example. One could say that it is wool. Another might say that it is a sweater. While a third could say that it is a garment. Another will say that it's molecules, and another will say that it's fibers, and so on. All of these definitions are correct. Each is addressing a different aspect or perspective of the sweater, but all of these aspects are manifesting in the same place at the same time. If all these emanations are in all things at all times, what is being taught by one day saying, kindness that is in strength, and then another day turning it around and saying, strength that is in kindness. When we refer to the aspect of kindness that is in strength, we are pointing to the perspective when kindness is most obvious, but the underlying essential aspect is strength. When we refer to strength that is in kindness, we are seeing strength as the apparent purpose for the act, but the true, deeper underlying reason is its kindness. Each act and each thing in creation contains all ten emanations. More holidays. After discussing the laws of the priest, the sacrifices, and then the holidays, this week's portion discusses the menorah and the showbread. We could make a strong argument here that with these two subjects, the Torah is also hinting to the rabbinical holidays that were to come many years after the Torah was written. Beside the major Torah-derived holidays, we also have two major holidays that come to us solely from the rabbis, Hanukkah and Purim. In fact, much of what we do today has its source in rabbinical laws and not directly from the Torah itself. But since the rabbis have been given this authority from the Torah itself, it is as if it is coming directly from the Torah. The menorah can be seen to be an obvious reference to the holiday of Hanukkah, since the entire holiday relates to the menorah. The showbread can be seen to be a hint to the holiday of Purim. Although there are a number of specific mitzvahs we do on Purim, 
The main idea of the holiday is to remember what Amalek did to the Jewish people and to celebrate our having overcome that threat by enjoying a large meal. The showbread were 12 loaves of bread. These loaves were placed on a special table to be eventually divided among the priests. Frankincense was sprinkled on them as a remembrance. Having many loaves of bread on the table as a remembrance certainly can be seen as a hint to the celebration of Purim. A question that arises from this discussion is, what is the role of the rabbis today? Throughout the ages, many types of rabbis have come along and started movements that garnered great numbers of Jews. This is not a new phenomenon. All the way back to our time in the wilderness, and certainly in the temple days, spin-offs to Torah Judaism and cults have been formed. In our day, we see that the majority of Jews follow either no Jewish tradition at all or the Reform Movement. There are many Jewish groups who claim to be the legitimate heirs of the Torah that was given to us on Mount Sinai. Besides the Reform, there are the Conservative, Reconstructionist, New Age, Jewish Renewal, Alternative, Pluralist, and so on. So how can we tell which is right? Which of the so-called rabbis or lay leaders should we follow? The answer is really quite simple. Which stream of Judaism guarantees that there will be a Jewish people in the future? Today, only the Orthodox tradition has a track record of Jewish survival. Even the conservative, who until recently have always claimed to be a Torah-observant movement, have now permitted homosexual marriages. Certainly, this movement will not guarantee a Jewish population. The Reform rabbis are officiating at mixed marriages, and the third-generation secular are experiencing an astonishing 95% rate of intermarriage. Today in California, 65% of secular marriages end in divorce, or somewhere between 6 to 17%, depending on the community, of Torah-observant marriages fail and end divorce. If there were no other reason than this for following the Torah, it would be enough. There is one dot com.